You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. God, we ask. We ask that your word come today as Paul prayed, not just in word alone, but in power, with full conviction, and with your Holy Spirit. This is our prayer through Jesus, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Well, last week, I hope you're doing well. Are you doing good? Everyone's okay? Maybe we need a moment just to soak in goodness right now, to know that God is enough. Can we do that for five seconds? Can we handle that, Hillary? Five seconds? Stillness? Yes, we did it. We made it. Well, last week in looking at good news, uh, there was a little something that I left out. I know, yeah, just a little something about the good news. So pay close attention to this. With the good news, you can do whatever you want. I'm serious. If you want to walk away from God, if you want to leave the church, if you want to leave your spouse on the doorstep with the kids, you can do that. You can. More on that in a minute. These words that I'm going to read to you today from from Romans chapter 1 are words that have built up countries and brought them down. They're words that have started change in churches and new traditions and they've also had them pull apart they're words that have stirred the heart of of hard-hearted pagans and rattled the cages of the most pious people that you could have ever met in fact martin luther martin luther the great reformer from 500 years ago chose these words after he finished his doctorate and he began lecturing on Romans. When he came to the verses that we'll read today, Romans 1.17, it's the verse that started the Reformation, the pulling away from the Catholic Church. Augustine, long before he was a saint of anything, not a believer, philosopher, did not believe in God. His mom was a Christian, he wasn't. Heard kids saying, take up and read, take up and read. And he picked up Romans, flipped to the first thing that he found, Romans 13, 13 and 14. And it began a journey for him where he became not just a philosopher, but one who focused his life upon God. Then we get Paul. Paul, who gives us these words. I want to read a few of them to you. I'm going to read it in splices today. This is in Romans Chapter 1, verse 8, Paul says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed throughout the world. For God, whom I serve with my spirit, announcing the gospel of his Son, is my witness that without ceasing I remember you always in my prayers, asking that by God's will I may somehow at last succeed in coming to you, For I'm longing to see you, so that I may share with you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Or rather, that that we may mutually be encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. 
So a little bit of backstory on this. Paul is cluing in and writing a group of people that they don't really know him. He's giving thanks to them. In fact, it's pretty clear to me that Paul would much rather pray than preach or teach or even write. He's willing to pray for this group of people. And he gives thanks to God for them. And he takes this humble posture that he may have something to offer, but that he knows that they have something to offer him. And he goes and says, I've heard about your faith. Your faith goes everywhere. I know about it. And he began praying earnestly that he'd have the chance to get to go and visit them and be with them. Last week, we started back to school. Some started the week before. Some are even going to start this week. A lot of different schedules. So how many of us are familiar with bold type? You got the textbooks with bold type. Now, some of you are older, and it's been a long time since you've had bold type. You want everything to be in bold type. We've got some bold type words that we're going to look at today. And, and gospel is one of them. Gospel was a word that we unpacked quite thoroughly last week by looking at verse 3 and 4. It's this announcement, this good news story of what God has done in Jesus to arrive in this world and to take on uh, our sins and to be chosen as the Son of God, to be the one lifted up showing us who God is. Well, here, this King Jesus, we get this gospel message, and that's, that's something we looked at really closely. But there's some other bold type words that I want us to look at. The righteousness of God and the wrath of God. Now, when it comes to God, people have their opinions. And they have all kinds of things that they would say about God. I don't believe that God exists. Or God is love. Or God is the one who is this absent parent who's not showing up, who doesn't provide what needs to be provided. Or, oh, no, no, God is this grandmother-like figure that loves you and you always know that you can go to God. Whatever your experience is with your parents, usually that gets put off on God. So if you have some, if you have some deadbeat parents, sometimes we think that about God. And I will often get asked, you know, why is it that we would follow a God like we see in Scripture? A God who seems angry or vengeful or wrathful. A God who seems like he's more ready to give us lots of rules and to be watching over our shoulder to see if we might break them. God who's just the great enforcer in the sky. Well, this God that we're going to look at today is a God that invites us to live with him. And all I can offer is this one little section from Romans today. That's what we have to look at. And so all of your answers about God will not be found in these verses. But I want us to look at chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed through faith and for faith. As it is written, the one who is righteous will live by faith. Here in these verses, we get something of the theme. And no, Paul didn't write this in gold font. He didn't pull out a bold marker. But it is something of a theme for this letter. 
Now, you probably don't think about having a theme when you write an email. What is the theme that I want to share? Well, maybe you do. Maybe even with a card or a letter, you think, well, this is for a birthday. It's got a theme. I'm going with it. Well, not every letter in the New Testament has a theme, but this one is pretty clear. Everyone points back to verses 16 and 17 as, as Paul laying out where he's going, what he intends. It almost pinpoints exactly in summary form what he wants to communicate. It's like if I told you, let's meet at Monroe's for green chili enchiladas Tuesday at noon to talk about the righteousness of God. Now I know some of you are going to show up now, aren't you? That, I mean, that's very specific. It's concise, it's densely worded, and that's what happens in these verses. The gospel reveals the righteousness of God. It unveils it. It discloses it. It's as if I have a silver lid over the holiday ham, and I pull it back to reveal this wonderful thing underneath. The gospel discloses God's righteousness. It's like when you order something from Apple and you get the box and you're able to carefully open it and all the tissue paper is just so-so and everything that plugs in seems to be white until you've used it for a while. And you get this sense of unveiling, you get this first look and the good news announcement that Jesus has come as the Son of God does just that. It unveils for us the righteousness of God. Now, when we come to the righteousness of God, it's almost like that there's two big crates of the ways that people try to make sense of the righteousness of God. And I want to tell you about both of them very briefly. One way of understanding the righteousness of God is that it's a status given to humans. So God gives you this status of righteousness. That's one way. Another way of thinking about it is thinking about the righteousness of God as God's saving action. And you might say, okay, well, I like both of those crates. I think that's a both and, Brady. And that's typically what you do, Brady. You, you tend to say, well, yes, it's both and. In this case, I'm not going to go there because it's crate number two. The righteousness of God is God's saving activity. Don't mistake it for what he does with us. God's righteousness comes first. It's a lot like when we talked about uh, the gospel. The gospel is not, it's the good news about what God has done through Jesus. It's not so much a story about my response to that news. My being able to respond to it, well, that's, that's not the good news. The good news is what God has done. And so when we look at the righteousness of God, think about it this way. It could be a subject or an object. So is God the subject of the righteousness or is God the object upon which that righteousness is acting? Here's where your eyes might glaze over a little bit. God must be the subject. This is God's righteousness. He owns it. He possesses it. He is the actor in this equation. And that should give us some comfort because it's not my righteousness. It's not your righteousness. And yet, if you're like me, sometimes we're quick to go to, well, what do I need to do? What are the expectations that God has upon me? What am I supposed to do? But what God offers to us is his righteousness that we're simply to believe. We're to have faith in. We trust him. That's our part. 
We respond to what God has already done. And just like the gospel that announces the good news of what God has done in Jesus, God's righteousness is all about God and what God has done. My yes or my no in the equation, whether it's to accept or reject, doesn't change the fact that this is God's righteousness. Well, what about wrath, Brady? You've skipped over that wrath part. Okay, okay, well, let's read that. Look in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of those who by their wickedness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. Ever since the creation of the world, his eternal power and divine nature, invisible though they are, have been understood and seen through the things that he's made. So they're without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not honor God or give thanks to God. For they became futile in their thinking. Their senseless minds were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal human beings, or birds, or four-footed animals, or reptiles. Wrath. The wrath of God. I think this one ends up being more interesting. It's the one we like to talk about or complain about. It's what gets the most airtime whenever we talk about God is all the ways that God is seemingly vengeful, seemingly out to get us, that God is harsh, ready to blame us for our sins and doesn't fix the problems that we want. Well, like the righteousness of God, I want you to catch two things about the wrath of God. And the first is this. God's wrath is not like human wrath. Not at all. I mean, we might picture a drunk dad coming home, stumbling around, upset, no one can be satisfied in the house, and everyone afraid that they'll make the mistake, that they'll cross the will of this dad. And so we think about wrath as, as harsh or angry or someone that's unable to be pleased, abusive, willing to punish us for our mistakes. But with God's wrath, it's not like human wrath, not at all. Which brings me to the second thing. The wrath of God is passive. Not active, but passive. Now again, we tend to think about God's wrath being like thunderbolts from the sky. In fact, it's not too many Sundays that go by where you might say to someone, oh, don't say that, we're in church. Lightning might come from God, right? Have you said that or been told that? We just expect that God is this enforcer shooting light bolts, lightning bolts or lasers or whatever it is to punish us right away. We think about God's punishment as spanking us or sending us into the corner to sit on a stool with our noses pointed into the corner. Am I bringing up bad memories for anyone? We think about punishment like, like we do with other human beings, but with God, his wrath is not like that. God's wrath is passive. You see, what happens with God's wrath, at least as it's described right here, is that the problem is not with God's wrath. 
The problem is with idolatry. Idolatry. Where we put things in the place of God. We reject God or refuse to follow God. What happens is we willfully turn away from the one who made us and we rebel to going our own ways. And we don't choose the healing ways, the healing life that he's laid out for us. And so his wrath is more about our choice at the end. It says in verse 22 that that we as humans are given every chance to know God, but yet we tend to reject God. We claim our own wisdom for ourselves and we end up acting like the fool. When in this description of the righteousness of God, our bold term number one, and the wrath of God, bold term number two, the primary move of God is in righteousness. And the wrath is passive. It's a consequence of evil. It's what happens whenever we don't choose to be with God. And what God does is he hands us over to our choices. It says that over and over again in our verses that we'll look at next week, 24, 26, and 28, handing us over. When we reject God, when we claim self-wisdom, then that's exactly what we get. Verse 21 Even though we knew God, we don't act like we know God, we don't honor God, and we don't give thanks to God. So what happens is that God allows us to take the path that we've chosen. And what happens is our minds become darkened, our thinking is not as clear, and this world of evil that we like to blame on God is actually a world of evil of our own description, our own choosing. Well, that brings me back to the crazy thing I said at the very beginning. That the good news is that you can do whatever you want with the good news. God has allowed you to choose how you'll respond to his ways in this world. If you want to reject God, if you want to turn away from God, you can. But the bad news is that you then have to live your life without God, without the giver of life. Maybe with those who've made a a similar choice as yours to step away from God. And this sometimes makes us get frustrated because the surprise of choosing our own way is that we sometimes are destroying ourselves from the inside out. The surprise about the bad news is that a lot of times people will look at things in this world and say, well, you know, why didn't God fix this or fix that? When really what we're seeing is the consequence of evil, of people who've chosen other ways. And people can even make decisions of, well, I'm not going to follow that God because of those Christians. Have you seen what hypocrites they are? Have you seen how they embezzle money or they have affairs or whatever they want to point to? They're bad workers. Folks, if you're making a decision not to follow God because of the inadequacy of human beings who are Christians, you're not making a decision based upon good news. You're making a decision based upon bad news. God pulls us away from this way of living, pulls us into the good news, invites us to receive his righteousness and to trust God to connect our life to his life. 
So rather than focusing on sin, focusing in on wrath, we've chosen a whole other life. We've chosen righteousness to focus on how we live in this world. Look with me again at verses 16 and 17. These classic verses where Paul stacks one truth upon another with each one supporting the next until he gets to the final word from Habakkuk chapter 2. Paul's not ashamed of the gospel. That's the first thing he stacks up. Because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone. Third one, it is through faith and for faith. We just have to trust God. And then he points way back. Way back to the prophet Habakkuk who says the righteous will live by faith. In the Greek version of the Old Testament, it says the righteous will live by God's faithfulness. And that allows us to lean in heavily to what God is doing in this world. So, the wrath of God is all about choosing to deny, to doubt, to walk away from God. Yes, sometimes we get caught up in how evil and wickedness tends to decay us from the inside out, but that is not the path that God laid out for us. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith. Whenever we choose faith, and we choose this path, God adds more and more grace to us, gives us more and more righteousness. Well, what does this look like? What this looks like is us beginning not to do what we see in Romans chapter 1, where we worship and serve our own desires, whatever they might be. The verses that we read today is worshiping nature or creation. All these lizards and four-footed animals, various things that we're to worship. When we turn to that, we're, re, we're worshiping something less than. When we worship our, our sexuality or when we worship our power, all of these things can be tempting to worship because... They're made by God, where God has given us sexuality, where God has given us the power to, to do good things at work, to use our giftedness to help others, or where God has done beautiful things like give us pets or scenic views to look at. We absorb good things from that because they're created by God, but they're not God. Idolatry is when we put anything, whatever it is, in the place of God. And all of these things find their place only whenever we recognize that God is God. Living by faith. Trusting in God. And in some ways, that's kind of a breath of fresh air. That we're off the hook a little bit. That it's not about our own performance. I told you that as we go back to school, that I would share something that our family does. You know, if we really want to live in this path of the righteousness of God, it, it takes choices, intentional ones. In our family, uh, whenever we go back to school, it's been 10, 12 years, I don't even know how long, we would figure out a time in our schedule when everyone can be in the standing in the same place, and that's tricky, and I'm talking about maybe a minute, maybe two minutes. And what we would do is take a fruit of the Spirit, and just say, today's word is the first fruit of the Spirit, love. 
And we're going to think about how we're loving other people. We're going to think about showing love to ourselves. We're going to be aware of examples that we see of love that day. And a lot of times we would just pick one verse for the whole week and read that same verse. So in 60 seconds to a couple of minutes, we get our minds and our bodies set together by being physically in the same place, grumpy, happy, whatever we are, and we're launched out onto this path of righteousness. Because when it comes to the good news, when it comes to the righteousness of God that's offered to us, the choice really is ours, what we do with it. God doesn't force us to believe it or to live it. In fact, one of the things that makes the good news good is that we can say no. Because if we can't say no, if we can't deny that it's good news, if we can't walk away, then we're living in a prison where God has us captive. God doesn't put us in a prison. He doesn't make us captive. He gives us a choice. Are we going to live in the active life, the righteousness of God? Or are we going to live our own way? A way that sometimes can succeed and other times can lead to our own destruction. I think what has to happen this week is for each of us to get real with where we are in that journey. How are we doing? How am I doing living my life? Even those of us who are Christians, sometimes we kind of have God in this waiting room. Like, maybe we'll let God take over our lives. He's there kind of if we need Him, but not something that sets every decision of every day. It's almost like we kind of have God on this three-week trial. We'll pull God in for three weeks, you know, maybe go to church for three weeks, be involved in a group, whatever it is that we do for three weeks. And then once that kind of expires, we kind of cancel before there's any more commitment or any more call than that. I think we have to look into our lives and think if, if maybe the things that we're blaming God for in our lives or in this world, that maybe there's something about us that we've contributed to that. Not all. Because in this world, there is evil that comes to us from other people's bad decisions, right? We can nod about that one. But what about owning the junk that I bring into that equation? The prison that I'm building of my own choosing. The invitation is to choose faith. To choose to trust God. To believe that what he said is true. That Jesus came as the Son of God. He was called Lord and King, and He wants to live in relationship with us. And though it's challenging, and it doesn't steer us away from the personal crosses that we must bear, it is the best way to live. It keeps us off that path of wrath that's really not in our best interests anyway. A path that will hurt us and harm us if we live only for ourselves. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the life that you've given us in Jesus. And we thank you for this good news, that we have nothing to do. It wasn't ours. We didn't create it. This is your work. We praise you that Jesus is Son of God, that he's Lord, Messiah. And God, we ask 
that indeed your saving work will be done in each of our lives. That your action, your righteousness, can be what we lift up. And we thank you for you involving us in your project, in your plan, in this world. Father, we pray that you will bless us this week as we seek to be on the path of righteousness. And we ask this through Jesus, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever.